I bet uh, very few of you have ever heard a sermon, from a Bible preacher anyway, on the subject of dreams. Um, I, uh, this is going to be interesting, but I'm, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad the Lord put this on my heart. But, uh, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about dreams, and so it's appropriate that we would uh, kind of take a look at this subject through a biblical worldview. Well, as we continue our study through uh, the book of Acts... Uh, we come to Paul's extended stay in a city called Corinth. Now, you're familiar with that because, of course, he wrote uh, two letters in the Bible, actually wrote four total, but two in the Bible, First and Second Corinthians, to the believers there in Corinth. But after a, a steady and productive travel schedule, uh, Paul's uh, missionary endeavors take a, a new twist when we get to Acts chapter 18 because for the first time, he settles down for an extended stay in one of the stops on his journey. Corinth is about 48 miles west of Athens in Greece, and Paul spends 18 months in this one uh, city. And uh, basically from March of 51 A.D. through about September, early September of 52. Um, and he's doing the work of the Lord, sharing the gospel, discipling new believers, in the past, of course, he had spent just a few days or at most several weeks or a couple of months, but this time it was different. What was it about the situation in Corinth that made Paul stay for a whole year and a half? Where did he get the strength and the energy and the motivation to invest so much time and effort with the Corinthians? And the answer is from a dream. Paul was emboldened as we read in Acts chapter 18, by a dream. Uh, you, might call, you might say his power came from a dream. You might call it dream power. What is the power of dreams? What is it about dreams that cause them to affect us the way they do? Uh, I had, not surprisingly, since I've been thinking about dreams all week, I had a bizarre dream last night. You know, I'm not one of those that dreams very often, or at least that I remember my dreams. Uh, but boy, it was a bizarre uh, dream last night. Dreams can frighten us. They can encourage us. They can make us nervous or anxious. They can steal our sleep. Anybody ever had such a restless dream that it just awakened you and you couldn't get back to sleep? Um, they can make us wake up happy. They can make us wake up grumpy. I know a few people that I think have a lot of dreams like that. I don't know. Uh, we can even be terrified and become drenched in sweat in our dreams. A lot of times we don't even remember our dreams, but doctors say we dream whether we're realizing it or not. Well, we're going to get to Acts chapter 18 in just a moment. I'm going to give you kind of four applications. Remember, we're dealing in the book of Acts with historical narrative. Uh, the Bible is kind of describing what happened in the early church, not necessarily prescribing. You know, we get our biblical prescriptions of what to do, how to act, the, how, what we should believe, those kinds of things from the epistles. Uh, but we can certainly uh, find some principles in the book of Acts, because all scripture is profitable, that the Bible bears out in other passages. And that's what we're going to be doing. That's what we've been doing through this series. That's what we'll do in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to just give a quick uh, primer on uh, dreams. What are 
dreams. The basic definition is that dreams are subconscious imaginings that contain sounds, images, and other sensations while you sleep. Dreams are stories and images that our minds create uh, during sleep. Dreams most often happen during REM sleep. Rapid eye movement is what REM stands for, as you know. It's the deepest stage of sleep, the kind that probably a lot of you experienced during my sermons. But anyway, this, this stage makes up about, REM sleep makes up about 20 to 25 percent of adult sleep, REM sleep. It occurs in intervals that can last anywhere from a few minutes to 30 minutes. You cycle through REM sleep a number of times during the night, and if you happen to wake up in the morning during that stage of sleep, a dream can seem fresher in your mind. Well, over the past six or eight years, I've really developed an interest in in dreams. A lot of it is related to research I've done for uh, writing, uh, specifically as it relates to phenomenalistic types of things, uh, the upsurge in that as we get closer to the Lord's return. But I love to listen to podcasts and interviews and read books, anything I can get my hands on about dreams. And so let me give you just a taste of some of the things that I've learned so far uh, from evidence and, and new research methodologies, scientists and doctors have been able to determine. First of all, we may not remember dreaming, but everyone is thought to dream between three and six times per night. Um, it's thought that each dream lasts between five and 25 minutes. Around 95% of dreams are forgotten by the time a person gets out of bed. And the content of our dreams is often affected by what we think about as we fall asleep. Um, so a lot of times I'll, when I lay down, I'll kind of be thinking about something, especially the last month or so. I've been just wrestling with this book, and it's been a love-hate relationship, as I mentioned in the first hour. Um, and so, inevitably, I'll, I'll have dreams. I can't remember what a lot of them are, but I remember having them. And sometimes I'll remember certain things. And, and, and it's, it's content that ends up, I wake up the next day and think, oh, I need to look into that further. I need to check about that. Or that's a great idea. You know, where did that come from? What came from my dream, right? And I'm not a prophet, by the way, but God revealed to me in a dream last night that the Dallas Cowboys will not lose today. Absolutely 100% guaranteed because they play tomorrow night. But anyway, uh, why do we dream? Why do we dream? Well, it's, uh, researchers say it's offline memory reprocessing. The brain is kind of consolidating learning and memory tasks and supports and records, you know, re records waking consciousness. Uh, also, they say it's basically preparing for possible future difficulties. It, uh, is a cognitive capability improvement, helping us you know, by stimulating real-life experiences in the subconscious. It's also processing past experiences. That's a big part of it. Um, it helps us deal with things from the past. And it can also be a process where overwhelming or contradictory or highly complex notions can be brought together in a balanced way that our conscious mind isn't able to achieve. You know, one of the things that I've really studied a lot over the last 15 years is uh, relates to, uh, again, paranormal, um, phenomenalistic stuff. We have a chapter on that in the new book. And, you know, our bodies are incredible things and our minds are incredible things. And, you know, we tend to think two-dimensionally, but there's a whole other dimension 
uh, to things in the spiritual realm. That's why the Bible so often talks about the battle for the mind and to capture every thought and to focus on the Word of God. That's why it's so important, as we're going to talk about in a second, to you know, feed our minds with the Word of God. You know, garbage in, garbage out, but you put wholesome truth in the, the infallible uh, uh, you know, two-edged sword of truth from God's Word into our mind, and it helps uh, in many, many ways. Uh, there are several types of dreams. Uh, daydreams, of course, are stream-of-consciousness things that sort of detach from our current task. You know, I, I, it happens to be a lot. I'll be reading, particularly when I'm reading, and I will realize I've read four or five paragraphs, and I don't remember a thing I just read because my mind was drifting elsewhere. Of course, normal dreams like we've been talking about. Lucid dreams are dreams where you wake up in your dream and you're aware that you're dreaming in your dream world. Very vivid. They're called lucid dreams. Um, nightmares, uh, frightening dreams that occur during REM sleep, uh, usually late at night or early in the morning, and they're the most vividly recalled dreams. Night terrors. One of our kids had night terrors when uh, they were about two years old for a period of time. Uh, then you've got... Uh, uh, recurring dreams. Um, I've had two or three recurring dreams my whole adult life, from college on. I haven't had that these couple of dreams uh, that I'm thinking of in a long time. I hope thinking about them doesn't make me start having them again. But uh, I'm sure some of you can can relate. Precognitive dreams are dreams that contain a foreshadowing of future bad events. And yes, that's a reality. I'm not suggesting, as we're going to talk about in a moment, I'm not suggesting that this is somehow on par with God's revelatory information or anything related to infallible scripture, but it's a reality. Uh, signal dreams are dreams that help you solve a problem. You know, uh, you know, you ever been struggling with trying to figure something out? I had this happen about three years ago, very vividly. Remember, it was an issue. I won't get into the details, but it's something I've been trying to solve for months. Try as I might, I could not resolve this issue. And then woke up one morning and I had had a dream about it and it, and it fixed the problem. It worked perfectly. Um, downloaded dreams are when our minds are consumed with so much information that the overload sort of leaks out into our subconscious and our uh, dreams. You know, like if you're playing a lot of chess, for example, you might dream about chess, you know, that, that kind of thing. And then uh, astral projection or OBEs, are, these are lucid dreams that occur that they're kind of take you outside and you're looking back down at, at uh, life. You know, we see uh, possibly an example of this from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 when he said, you know, he was taken up to the third heaven. Uh, dreams are very uh, pervasive in Scripture. They get a lot of attention. You can think of Old Testament examples. I'm sure if I open the floor, all of you biblically astute folks could name several uh, famous dreams. Jo Jacob, Joseph, David. The prophets in particular, Isaiah, Ezekiel, had some bizarre dreams. Daniel, of course, talks about dreams, and there's many more. In the New Testament, uh, we see Ananias with his dream, uh, uh, when God revealed to him to minister to, to Saul, to Paul. Uh, Cornelius and Peter each had dreams you know, with each other, or, or about each other, that their, God was going to connect the two for the purpose of the gospel. Paul has many dreams, like the one we're going to look at today. Uh, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, is essentially a dream. God revealing to John. It's a different kind of dream because it's revelatory in nature. Um, but in Scripture, there are two similar concepts for dreams. One is called visions, where the emphasis is on what is heard. And this is used uh, 12 times in the New Testament. 
and 11 of them are in Acts. Um, and then, uh, including the one we're going to look at uh, today. And then you see the word dreams uh, six times, all of them in Matthew's Gospel, where the emphasis is on what is seen. So both of them are dreams, but it's called a vision when the emphasis is on just what you hear. And then it's called a dream in English, that's the translation of the words, the Greek word onar, uh, where the emphasis is on what is seen. So, Acts chapter 18, the word Luke uses to describe Paul's dream is a vision because God speaks to Paul in this dream. And what can we learn about it? Whatever else dreams may be doing from a human psychological standpoint, there can be no doubt that they are real and God uses them. Uh, we, we see this reference, for example, in the book of Job where Elihu is contradicting Job's arguments. If you remember the context, Elihu was one of Job's three friends and uh, he's trying to explain to Job why God was allowing Job to go through these things and why God was not responding to him in particular. And uh, he was very wordy and uh, he even admitted, he said uh, in chapter 32 of this extended soliloquy here that I am full of words, you know. Um, but anyway, Elihu told Job that God was not silent, as Job had thought, but that he was speaking through dreams and sickness to the patriarch. Elihu said God was being merciful to Job, and Job's other friends had, had said you know, that Job was suffering as a punitive thing. God was punishing Job for something. Uh, Job's wife uh, had said Job was suffering because God was unfair. And now here Elihu gives a third option, which is God is trying to teach Job something. He said God's purpose was educational. God was allowing Job to suffer so he could learn from it. But anyway, here's what we read in Job chapter 33. For God may speak in one way or another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. So we know God uses dreams in some way. C.S. Lewis famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I think somehow God made us, uh, in the image of God he made us, and somehow our physiological aspects are all part of that, all intertwined, the material and the immaterial. And somehow God uses dreams uh, as a means of communicating uh, to us. So how does God use dreams in our lives? Well, first of all, as I said, we've got to be careful to clarify our terminology. We're not suggesting, and I'm certainly not suggesting, that God is giving new revelation in our dreams. No one should wake up after having a vivid dream that you remember and, 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 and write you know, the New King James translators and say, you need to add a 67th book. This is not what we're talking about here. God's complete and total revelation is contained within his word. It gives us everything we need for life and godliness. If you never have a dream, it won't change your ability to follow the Lord, learn from him, and grow in the faith, or, of course, to get saved to begin with. God's word is living and active, and it thoroughly equips us. And that's why we should stay in the word. When we read and study and meditate on God's word, it builds us up. It changes our lives. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. When we hide it in our hearts, it's there for our body, soul, and spirit to use as God sees fit. 
And this can include even in our dreams. But, you know, 3,800 times the Bible says, thus says the Lord. This is our standard. Uh, it's, it's the, the Bible is like an exhaustive, amazing, valuable message from the Creator that never runs out. So if you want to hear the voice of God, you've got to include the Bible in the mix. Uh, there's no telling whose voice you might be hearing if it's not from the Word of God. So you want to hear the voice of God? Well, I've put together a chart. I think we've shown this at least once over the last couple of years, but it's a helpful reminder on how we can hear uh, the voice of God in our lives. Uh, first of all, there are clear commands, clearly spelled out in God's words, and we just need to obey them. These are objective truths that are empirical, non-negotiable, unambiguous. And those we shouldn't have any debate over. Of course, today, when the Word of God is under attack, I, I, I wrote a chapter in the book over sometime over the last month on the, the death of absolutism and in the context of the decline of Christianity in America. And, you know, whenever you, you see a pluralistic society emerge, the first thing to go is always the Bible, because the Bible speaks at absolutes. Um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear. I mean, there's no wiggle room there, even though people try to make it, uh, try to change it and alter it. But then we also see relevant principles from God's Word, like we're doing in the book of Acts, which are more applicational, and they can be objective and subjective. You know, We can learn from the truths of Scripture, from the examples of others, uh, but they're not direct commands. You know, they're just general principles that we see in Scripture. Uh, the toughest area where we can hear the voice of God is life experience, where we discern God's will via the Holy Spirit and observing life's experiences. Remember, Proverbs 15.31 says, The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. In other words, life can be a great teacher. You know, uh, you, you're not going to find a verse in the Scripture that says, Don't touch the hot stove. But the first time you touch that as a child and you burn your finger, you're going to remember, oh, that's not good. <laughs> that's a negative experience. I'm not going to touch the hot stove. That's a life experience. That's a, just an example. But we call this discernment, and this is wholly subjective, wholly subjective. But this is where dreams come into play in this third category of life experience. So you never take a dream and assume it's infallible or objective like a clear command from Scripture because it's not. But to the extent that we can validate something that came to us in a dream through the Word of God, then maybe the Lord's trying to get our attention in some way. It's called life experience. So dream power. How does God use dreams? I want to just read these first eight verses of chapter 18. And then I want to see what we can learn from Paul's experience. So picking it up in verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, 
Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he part, departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. We'll stop there because I'm going to pick up there on the screen. But notice that Luke, the inspired author of the book of Acts here, is giving us yet another progress report, We're talking here about the response as Paul shifted from the synagogue uh, to uh, the Gentiles. And we see the gospel, the power of the gospel going first. So the first thing I think we can learn about dreams is dreams can encourage us not to fear. Dreams can encourage us not to fear. When we're afraid, our fears are often magnified in our dreams. We obsess over them. Our minds are preoccupied with fears, and we just can't seem to escape those thoughts even in sleep. So sometimes God, to encourage us in fearful, difficult times, will encourage us through a dream that we don't need to fear. And that's exactly what happened with Paul in Corinth. We pick it up in verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Remember, that's just one type of dream, focusing on what's heard. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. You know, Paul had a lot of reasons to be afraid, especially after what had just happened in Thessalonica and Philippi. Uh, here in, in the immediate context, as we just read, the Corinthians opposed him. Paul needed some encouragement. And so God used a dream. God used a vision. We see this frequently in Scripture. Go back to Joseph and Mary. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Dreams can encourage us not to fear. Uh, after the birth of Christ, when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. This is Joseph and Mary. So, you know, they were afraid, but God gave them a reason not to be afraid. Dreams can encourage us not to fear. What are you afraid of this morning? What are you worried about? Take those fears to the Lord. I mean, regardless of whether God chooses to encourage you through a dream, God's word will encourage you when we lay our burdens at his feet and cast all our cares upon him. Get in the word of God. Let the spirit of God use the word of God to encourage you, perhaps by using a dream. So dreams can encourage us not to fear. Secondly, dreams can embolden us so that others hear. Dreams can embolden us so that others hear. Sometimes God puts people on our hearts through dreams. I remember all the different kinds of dreams there are. Daydreams is one of them. A lot of times I'll be distracted daydreaming, I guess is the term, and the Lord will put someone on my heart. And I'll be burdened about them, or I haven't talked to them in a while, or I need to call them, or text them. Hey, how you doing? Right? Dreams can embolden us so that others can hear. When you're burdened about someone, that burden often finds its way, its way into our dreams. And maybe God is laying that person on our heart. So a dream can be the way God motivates us to share the gospel message or any other edifying message if the person is already a believer. Again, in, in the night, 
the Lord spoke to Paul, do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent. Paul was deeply burdened about the gospel. He understood the urgency of the matter. Maybe he was contemplating moving on, as he had done in his, so far in his first and part of his second journeys. Maybe he wanted to go for more low-hanging fruit where he wouldn't be quite so harassed. I mean, he was human after all. He wasn't looking to pick a fight. It just seems like he suffered again and again persecution. But that's not what God wanted. Through a dream, Paul was emboldened so that others would hear. God says, don't fear, but speak. Share the word. And this boldness to speak something, it, it, boldness to speak is something that comes up again and again throughout the early church. It seems to be a common way that the Lord helped, in, helped advance the gospel message. And by the way, the same thing uh, can be true today, but I think this is lost on the early church. One of the things that you know we're talking about in this midweek evangelism training seminar is you know how to be sensitive to opportunities when they come up. And we go back to the early days of the church in Acts chapter four. Now the Lord, now now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. This is after Peter and John were set free from prison and they went to the house where the early Christians were gathered together and, and praying for them. And this is part of their prayer. Lord, give them boldness that they may speak your word. It takes boldness to share Christ with others. And sometimes grant, God grants that boldness through, through dreams. It motivates us to reach out to someone. Don't ever brush it aside if you wake up in the morning and someone's on your heart and on your mind. Don't ignore that. God may very well be putting that on your heart. In Acts 14, therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. This is uh, during the first missionary journey up there in southern Galatia in the city of Iconium with Barnabas. Uh, long time at that time was three months. Uh, and he stays in Corinth this time 18 months. Uh, Jesus was giving the commission uh, to the disciples and he says when they deliver you up do not worry about how or what you should speak for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak the prophet jeremiah recounting his call into the prophetic ministry he says the lord put forth then the lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth and the lord said to me behold i have put my words in your mouth if someone's on your heart and you need to talk to them about the lord or give them encouragement in his word maybe you'll dream about that and maybe you'll wake up particularly burdened the next day. So dreams can embolden us so that others hear. Um, but dreams have another purpose, and that is dreams can ensure us that God is near. I really like this one. Dreams can ensure us that God is near. There are times in our lives when we feel like God is distant. We have trouble sensing His presence. We, we might feel like David in Psalm 13 who said, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me, David said. And when this happens, we need reassurance that God has not abandoned us. We need to know that he's right there with us, walking through whatever valley we're facing. Sometimes it, this reassurance comes in the form of a dream. What do we read in verse 10? God in this dream said to Paul, "For I am with you. I am with you. Sometimes we just need to know God is here. Psalm 
23, the famous Psalm of David. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. As the children of Israel stood on the outskirts of the land of Canaan, God reminded them, Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or the words of our Lord and the Great Commission just before he went to the right hand of the throne of, of God. Lo, I am with you always. Lo, I am with you always. Dreams can be God's way of saying, I'm here. Two wonderful words that can, can mean so much in certain situations. I'm here. They can calm your heart. They can slow your blood pressure. They can dry your tears. I'm here. Try thinking about God's presence as you go to sleep sometime. And you may wake up more refreshed than you have in a long, long time. Because the Spirit of God puts the Word of God in your heart. It's already there if you've been studying the Word, but He brings it to your remembrance. But there's one final thing we can... I think take away from Paul's experience with dreams, and that is dreams can explain that God's plan is clear. Dreams can explain that God's plan is clear. I'm sure we've all experienced this, where you wake up at night utterly perplexed by what's going on in life. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of times I've asked myself in my journey, God, what is your plan here? What are you doing? Why, God? Why is this happening? You know, we, we long to understand the big picture. And sometimes God just allow, doesn't allow us to see it. <laughs> you know, sometimes he just says, trust me. I've got this. Just do the next thing. Keep walking. Trust me. We walk by faith, not by sight, Paul said uh, to these same Corinthians in his second letter in chapter 5. But when God's plan doesn't seem clear, sometimes God can encourage us and strengthen our faith through a dream. And, uh, you know, we just need to know that God has a plan. And, you know, sometimes that's really the only place we can retreat to. You know, we, 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 we're stressed, we're anxious, we're hurting, we're going through a trial, and we go down, to lay down to sleep at night, and, and it's hard to get to sleep. Of course, in the world's paradigm, all kinds of artificial things, chemicals that people use to sleep. You know, you can get a prescription for just about anything, but that's not solving the root problem. So instead, you, as a believer, you turn to the Lord. And, and you know, I, I'm sure you've experienced this. I know Wendy and I have, where you're just in, in anguish over life's tough, tough times. And you lay in bed in anguish and you say, I just don't understand, Lord. And eventually... The physiology of it all, you just fall asleep in exhaustion. And because you cried out to God in that moment, but or whatever words you use, God knows your heart, God often will just give you a gentle reminder in that dream of, uh, that I've got this. I'm doing something. I have a purpose here. You may not see it, but when you're in the eye of the storm, you know, God can remind you. And that's what God did here for Paul. He said, Lo, I am with you. No one will attack you or hurt you. Why? For, 
I love that. It's an explanatory word. For I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. God knew every single person in Corinth. He knew what Paul couldn't know in his humanness. So he assured Paul via a dream that God was in control and that I need you to stay here. I need you to stay here. Sometimes we just need reassurance that God knows what he's doing. And in Paul's case, that came in the form of a dream. So we looked at the purpose of dreams, those four things, but what, what's the power of dreams? What's the power of dreams? Well, we see in verse 11, the result. After this vision, Luke tells us, he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So think about that for just a moment. One dream changed the course of history. If it were not for that dream that Paul had, we might not have two of the letters that Paul wrote on his third missionary journey back to Corinth in the Bible. If it weren't for that dream, many souls in Corinth might not have come to faith. See, there's a power to dreams. Dreams can encourage us not to fear. They can embolden us so that others hear. They can ensure us that God is near. And dreams can explain that God's plan is clear. So what's the takeaway? Well, forgive me, but I couldn't get this word, this, this phrase out of my mind th throughout the week. So in the immortal words of Stephen Tyler, uh, dream on. <laughs> Uh, that's the uh, that's the that's the takeaway, uh, not in some mystical, weird, subjective, flighty way. There's enough of that going around out there. But get in the Word of God and let Him speak to you through His Word, and you might just hear His voice in a dream. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, great story from Acts uh, 18 about Paul's experience there in Corinth. And Lord, as we, 2,000 years later, seek to follow in Paul's footsteps and share Christ and make a difference in this world, I thank you that we have these examples where dreams, which are something we're all familiar with, can play a part. So Lord, I just pray that you would raise up men and women and young people of the faith to, to really get in your word, be saturated in the word. And then Lord, I pray that what is in our hearts. You know, your word says, the word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I pray that what's hidden in our hearts would just be a great encouragement and reminder to us, however you remind us of those things, even in a dream, that we might live and serve you faithfully. And Father, we do pray, as was the case with Paul, that if there are those who need to know you, that today, even those within the sound of my voice that have not come to faith, they might be convicted of their need for a Savior and come uh, to faith by trusting in Jesus Christ, God's Son who died and rose again for their sins. And I pray if there's others who are in our sphere of influence that need to know you, that you might encourage us, even if it's through a dream, to share Christ with them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close.